God's presence, God's people, God's purpose, God's plan. These have always been the essential ingredients of the church. We find a recording of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection in the Gospel of Luke. That letter was the first of a two-part work, the second being the Book of Acts. In this letter, Luke recalls Jesus' ascension and commission, the spread of the Gospels, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit through the early church. In the past, God's presence was with his people in one place at one time. But early on in Acts, Pentecost occurs and God's promised Holy Spirit is unleashed in power, filling those who would receive and overflowing to those around them. With this new Holy Spirit power, the church began to explode, stirring among thousands as the message grew and spread. The mission of the church has been made clear by Jesus himself. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And now, more than 2,000 years later, God's presence is still being unleashed among God's people. And we are part of God's continued purpose and God's continued plan as the Holy Spirit moves in and through us. Good morning. If uh, we have not met, my name is Bob. I am one of the pastors here at this church. Uh, this is not my first week in here. If you've just come in the last six weeks, you don't have a clue who I am. I am one of the pastors here, and I've been on a little bit of a break, a study break and some vacation. It's so good to be back. In fact, our staff was taking bets this week on how long I would preach because I haven't preached for six weeks. So if you want to place your bets now. Um, no, just kidding. Hey, it is good to have you with us uh, and online. So thankful that you've joined us as well. Speaking of those of you online, um, next weekend we have some information that's very pertinent to you and very important. Don't miss that announcement uh, next weekend. Glad that you're, you're with us. Uh, speaking of this last uh, couple of weeks, six weeks, I just want to say, Man, we are so blessed as a church, as having Pastor Kip and Pastor Brian, Pastor Randy lead us through the growing series. Can we just thank them for that? I mean, what amazing, so great. Um, wow, yeah, and if you're online, hit those hearts or emojis or whatever you do online with that. So, so grateful. I'm glad that you're here today. I'm glad to be here today. Uh, as we start today, what I want to talk about is the beginning and the continuation of what is truly the most important and most impactful, most significant, most powerful movement in all of human history. And I'm not overselling this at all. We're talking about a life-altering, culture-shaping, world-transforming movement that has transcended and outlasted every empire, every kingdom, every uh, dynasty, every leader, greater than any country, greater than any political party, greater than any ideology. It has endured, it is eternal, it is lasting, it is ongoing, and we get to look at the beginning and the continuation of this movement that has changed our world and is changing our world. What I'm talking about is the church of Jesus Christ. The followers of this man, Jesus, who are referred to as the family of God, the fellowship of believers, the body of Christ, his very bride. I don't in any way want to purport that the church is perfect. We don't always get it right. A lot of mistakes. In fact, if you look through the history of the church, it is littered with embarrassing moments, shameful acts, deplorable things done. But even in the midst of all of its imperfection with sinful human people at its helm, there has never ever been a greater force for good in humanity on the planet than the church of Jesus Christ. There was a time when Jesus was with his closest disciples and he took them away from, from 
from where all the Jewish people were. He took them away from, from the areas where they had been in Galilee and, 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 uh, and in Judea. And he goes up to the north to an area called Caesarea Philippi. This was not a Jewish area. And there, there was pagans everywhere, non, non-Jewish people, non-religious people. And up in, in Caesarea Philippi, there's a cave. And in those days, they could never find the bottom of that cave. They would let these long ropes down with weights and could never find the bottom of this cave. And it was filled with water. And they thought that this cave was the, the portal into the netherworld. They referred to this cave as the gates of hell, the gates of Hades. And over this cave was built an enormous pagan temple to Pan, the, Pan, uh, the pagan god Pan. And Jesus took his disciples to this pagan area where the very gates of hell. And in this moment, when he's there with them in Caesarea Philippi, he makes not a prediction, not a vision, not a dream, not a hope. He makes a proclamation when he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. This wasn't just a hope. He's saying, this is what will happen. I'm going to build this following, this fellowship of believers, this body of Christ. I'm going to build them, and not even the gates of hell will prevail over them. And for 2,000 years, this church of Jesus Christ has been unleashed, unhindered, and unstoppable. It doesn't mean that it hasn't had some oppression. Does it mean that it hasn't been opposed? Does it mean it hasn't been resisted? It's experienced enormous oppression and opposition, persecution. Lies, slander, accusation. It has faced the the worst that the darkest evil forces of, of the spiritual realm can put on it. But even in that, the church of Jesus Christ continues to be unstoppable. This church probably, as I mentioned before, led by imperfect, sinful, broken people, probably should have imploded on itself. Over the years, the the false doctrine, the bad theology, the abuse of power, the division, the corruption, the sin, it's ugly. But by God's grace and God's grace alone, even with the sinful brokenness of humanity, the church continues unleashed, unhindered, unstoppable. And this church, this gathering of these people, as imperfect as it is, Jesus loves his bride. And Jesus is committed to his body. And Jesus believes in his followers. And Jesus chooses his church to carry out his plan and purpose in this world, to make a difference for eternity, to bring the good news of the gospel to bear, to bring the kingdom of God to to the world, to restore that which is broken, to redeem that which is lost, to finish what he started in the power of the Holy Spirit, all to the glory of God. Jesus said, I will build my church, and for 2,000 years it has been being built by Jesus in the power of his spirit for God's glory, unbridled, unharnessed, unleashed, unhindered, and unstuck. And here's the good news. We're a part of it. That what Jesus proclaimed and what he started, we as a church get to be a part. We get to be a part of the fulfillment of the proclamation that he made. And so today, we're going to start a series, and for the next three and a half months, we're going to look at this today. We get to look at the beginning and the continuation of this thing called the church. We are going to study Acts for the next three and a half months. Now, when I say that, some of you think this. Some of you are thinking, this is great. They're going to put some of those axe-throwing cages up that are kind of the rage now. Survey says, no, no, no. Some of you younger ones are thinking, and you're wearing way too much of it right now. (laughs) Definitely not. 
We're going to look at Acts, the book of Acts, A-C-T-S, like action. See, the action of God on the face of this planet. This book of Acts, where we see the birth and the explosion of the church. It's the fifth book in the New Testament, right after the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, this action book. And as I often say when we start a study of a book, there is no way that this is going to be a complete and exhaustive study of the book of Acts. We just simply can't. There, there's too much, and there's going to be large portions that we're going to skip over as we get, uh, get through this. In fact, as I've been on my study break, my next four sermons are already written out. They're already done, and we never get out of chapter two in four weeks. There's 28 chapters. Don't worry, though. At that pace, we'd be in here for over a year. This is a summer series. As you know, if you've been around in our summer series, usually around August, I'll say, hey, I've decided to extend this series a couple more weeks. You've heard that before. I came back from my study break, and I've already decided to extend it a couple of weeks. I told Kip, we've got to add a few more. We're going to go clear through September in the book of Acts. And as we go through this, as I said, there's going to be a lot we're going to skip over, a lot we're not going to be able to delve into. And so for some of you, you're going to probably think, I, I, want, I, I want to get more than what we just cover on the weekends. And so for, for those of you who are in that camp, I want to offer some resources for you to get more than just what we cover in the weekend sermons. Some books, possibly. The first book I would recommend to you is called uh, The Bible. <laughs> All right. The book of Acts is in the Bible. It's in the New Testament. You can get one of these. If you don't have it, we'll get you one. All right. It's 28 chapters. Really want to encourage you to be reading and really Honestly, if I'm going to spend four weeks in two chapters, come on. I don't care how many big words you have to sound out and how slow of a reader you are. But I want to encourage you that. For some of you, well, less than 1% of you, well, okay, well, for both of you, that, um, <laughs> that when we do these kind of series, you come up to me and you say, okay, Bob, I want to go deeper. Uh, what, what kind of commentaries, which commentary would you recommend for me? Uh, for, the, for the two of you who are going to ask that question, I want to point out a couple things. First one would be uh, Chuck Swindoll's uh, Living Insights, uh, the New Testament commentary on the book of Acts. Swindoll, some of you know, is fantastic, very pastoral, uh, very easy to read, very understandable, very applicable. Uh, for, uh, for some who say, yeah, but I want to go even deeper. And, and this is like, basically I'm talking to Kip right now. Okay. <laughs> F.F. Uh, F. Bruce is a commentary. Now listen, again, this, this, I would not even recommend this for most of you. Not because you can't handle it, just because you'd put it away and just like, you know what? Because it gets into a lot of gritty details, especially if you get into the footnotes, a lot of, uh, of history. But for those, the, the two or three of you that are going to ask me that, I'll go ahead and answer that. For the rest of you, let me give you one other resource. And I do this every time we study a book. If you will Google Bible Project Acts, the people at the Bible Project down in Portland do a phenomenal job with this. I mean, these guys are amazing. If you just Google these three words, Bible Project Acts, about six videos will come up that you can choose from. They're all between six and eight minutes long. They're just bite-sized, very, very understandable. It gives you a great overview and would encourage you uh, to check those out. Um, my wife and I watched three of them last night after church uh, just because she hadn't seen them yet. And so very easy to do. It doesn't take a lot, of, uh, a lot of effort on that. So we're going to get started. Now today I will say this. As we start off this series, as we start off looking at this book, today I'm going to give you a lot of background, a lot of context, how this all fits together. For some of you, the first half of the sermon, you're just going to check out. And that's okay. We'll wake you back up when it's time to check back in. For some of you, you're going to love this background stuff. So we're going we're to do that. If you were with us three weeks ago, 
Pastor Kip kind of laid the foundation that I'm going to build on. When he talked about connecting with God through his word, he, he talked about some of the stuff, some of it I'm going to repeat, some of it I'm going to build on. So we're going to get into that. Are you ready? Okay, okay, okay. So if you want to follow along, we're in the book of Acts, fifth book in the New Testament. You can turn there or, or dial that up on your phone or tablet or what have you. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 says this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Okay, listen, wait a second. We're five words into it. In my, who's talking here, former book, what book is he talking about? And who in the Judean hillside is Theophilus? Five words in and we got three questions we got to confront. This is why it's going to take a while to get through this book. So that's what I want to do before we get started. I want to talk about the author, the book, and Theophilus. Okay, this other person. So the author, who's writing this? Luke is writing this. This is what we know about Luke. Luke was not one of the disciples of Jesus. He was not one of the 12. In fact, he wasn't even Jewish. He was a Gentile. He was non-Jewish. And he probably came from a city called Antioch, just to the north uh, of Israel, Judea, and those areas. Luke was a doctor. He was a physician, an educated man, uh, a bright man. And somewhere along the way, he heard about Jesus, and he became a follower of Jesus. Most likely, he came into contact with the Apostle Paul on Paul's second missionary journey. It's highly likely that Paul is the one that explained to him the grace of Jesus and led him to the Lord. And so now he, he's this, this Gentile doctor who hears about Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. He becomes a follower of his, and Paul's kind of working with him so much so that, that he connects with Paul and actually becomes a traveling companion with Paul. They're, they're not just friends, but he's kind of discipling him, and he actually goes on, on missionary journeys with him. It's possible that the last 10 to 15 years of Paul's life, Dr. Luke went along with him. So when Paul writes to, the, to uh, this church in, in the letter called the Colossians, at the end, he sends a greeting. He does this on almost all the time. In Colossians chapter 4, he says, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Now, why would you say that if Luke hadn't already been there with him? Luke, they knew Luke. Luke had traveled there with Paul. So he said, you know, our friend, Luke, you remember the doctor? I think it's very cool that Paul has a doctor that travels with him. Every time I take a trip to Israel, Egypt, I always hope that there's a doctor, a nurse, an EMT, a fireman, someone who has some medical training on the trip, just in case there's any kind of issue so that I don't have to re resort back to my first aid training from 30 years ago. So it's always nice to have a doctor with me. Think about Paul. He has a personal traveling doctor with him. And if anyone ever needed a doctor to travel with them, it was Paul. If you've ever read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, hey, let me tell you a little bit about my life. Five times they took that cat of nine tails, the whip, gave me the 39 lashes. Five times I went through that. And Jesus went through it once. Paul went through it five times. His back would have been nothing but scar tissue. He says, hey, three times they took these rods and they just pummeled me till I was like this close to death. Oh, and speaking of death, one time they threw rocks at me. They stoned me and they left because they thought I was dead. He goes on, every time he gets on a ship, the thing sinks. Aflac will not insure him. He costs too much money. He needs a doctor. And no doubt Luke had been there administering the bandages to his wounds, helping him get through this life and to, to bring him back to life. He has this doctor that travels with him. But Luke is more than just the first aid guy. Luke is right there in doing the ministry with him. When Paul writes to Philemon, he says, uh, Epaphras sends his greetings. 
And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Luke is going along and he's helping plant churches. He's helping train pastors. He's helping disciple people. He's helping with the leadership and the organization administration of this gathering of the church all the way through these last 10 or 15 years of Paul's life. And when Paul gets to the very end of his life, he's sitting in a Roman prison. He wants to go to Spain. He's going to be executed probably around the year A.D. 67. The last correspondence, he writes a letter to Timothy. Timothy, one of the young men that he had discipled and brought into the ministry. And he writes this at the end of Timothy. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. So Luke... This one who writes the book of Acts is, is, with, uh, is with Paul and travels with him. Now, some of what he writes in Acts, he's just recording what Paul tells him. Some of it he's lived. What's interesting is around Acts 15 or 16, Luke quits saying they and them and starts writing we and us. That he's heard about, this he's experienced. Are you still with me? Four of you. Beautiful. All right, okay, for the four, five of us, let's keep going. So that's who, that's who wrote it, this Luke. Luke, this Gentile doctor, this one who was a partner with, with Paul. He says, in my former book, now here's a little quiz for you. If his name is Luke, he wrote the book of Acts, but he talks about a former book. Any guesses what that former book might have been called? Be bold. Luke, yes, Luke wrote the gospel of Luke. Now, I mean, as a kid, I always thought, well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were all part of the 12 disciples. No, they weren't. Luke wasn't. He wasn't even part of it. Mark wasn't either. Matthew and John were. But, but Luke writes this gospel. And, and this is what uh, Pastor Kip took us to about uh, three weeks ago when uh, he writes in Luke chapter 1, at the beginning of Luke, he said, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. He says, I didn't, he, I didn't experience these things. I didn't see them. I received them just like you did. Probably first he heard them from Paul, but then he hears them from those who lived it, who experienced it, who are eyewitnesses. Because if, if Paul went to Jerusalem and Luke's his traveling companion, Luke probably went with them. And when he's in Jerusalem, he takes the opportunity to learn, to hear from Mark, who, who writes the, the gospel from Peter's perspective, and, and, and maybe from the other disciples. In fact, he goes on, and he says this, Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything. Remember, he's a doctor. Details are important to this guy. Carefully investigated everything from the beginning. It seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Here he is again. So he says, listen, I've done the work. I've done the research. I've done the fact-checking. I, I, I know we've only heard about it, but I went back to Jerusalem and I asked. I talked to the disciples. And maybe he just interviews people who are part of the church. Jairus, whose daughter was raised from the dead, she's probably still alive. He probably talks to her and maybe Jairus. The, the guy who had leprosy, who was an outcast, now is a part of the community, talks with him. The guy who was a cripple, who's now jumping around, he talks with him. Talks to the people who, who were there when he fed the 5,000. Tell me what that was like. He just asked all these questions. He says, I've done the research. I've investigated it carefully. And notice he says, from the beginning. Speculation on my part, but I think it's probable that while he's there, he sits down with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and says, tell me everything about the birth of Jesus. Because if you're familiar with the Gospels, Luke spends more time talking about the Christmas story, 
the birth narrative of Jesus than the other gospel writers. How would he know those things if he hadn't heard it firsthand? To sit down with Mary and say, Mary, tell me about it. Tell me about when the angel appeared to you. Tell me how horrible it was when you were a teenager and you were pregnant and you were single. And Joseph was going to divorce you. What about Joseph's dream? How about those magi? What about the shepherds and the angels and, and, and Simeon and, and, and Anna? Tell me all about it. And he writes all that down. Listen, my mom is 84 years old. That's old. But she could tell you all kinds of details about my birth, stuff you don't even want to hear. And I imagine Luke sits down with Mary and says, Mary, tell me all about it. She pondered them up. She treasured them in her heart. And now she tells Luke, and Luke records it, and we celebrate it, and we read those words every single year. What about Theophilus? Who's Theophilus? Truth is, we don't know. There's all kinds of speculations. You read commentaries, there's all kinds of cool speculations. We don't know. The only thing that gives a little hint is that Paul says, my uh, most excellent Theophilus. No one uses that term except Bill and Ted. Anyone with me? <laughs> most excellent. All right. Best movie of all times. Uh, okay, all right. <laughs> Party on. Okay, so by calling him most excellent Theophilus, it's very likely that Theophilus was a high-ranking Roman official, maybe in the military, maybe in the government, because that was like this title of respect, most excellent Theophilus. And it would make sense if Luke is not Jewish, that he would have a connection with a Roman, because they're not Jewish, neither one of them are. And it's possible that this high-ranking Roman official has his own personal doctor as well, or a doctor that he goes to. And maybe Theophilus has this connection with Luke, because Luke is his doctor, and somewhere along the way, Luke begins to tell Theophilus about Jesus. Now, while we don't really know who Theophilus is, we do know why Luke wrote to him the gospel and the book of Acts. He says this in verse 4, I wrote this, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. Listen, the stuff that you're hearing... Theophilus is probably either a seeker interested, trying to find out more about Jesus, or has become a follower, and he's got some questions, he's skeptical, he's got some doubts. He says, I want you to have certainty. I want you to know that the faith that you have is, is worthy of building your life and eternity on. I've done the research. I've done the investigation. This is not legend. It's not myth. It's not fable. It's not hearsay. I'm telling you, this is the truth. You can fact check it. They're still alive. A little side note on this. Sometimes you'll hear people say, well, the Bible, you can't trust it. It was written hundreds and hundreds of years after the fact. Not the case in the Gospels and Acts and the New Testament writings. Most likely, the book of Acts was written about A.D. 63, like 30 years after Jesus uh, was resurrected. One of the things that, and again, this, this is just for the, the four of us that love this kind of stuff. One of the things that puts the date of that book at around the early 60s is not because of what's written in the book, but because of what is not in the book. Because there are three very, very significant events that are not mentioned in the book of Acts. One is Nero's persecution that happened in AD 64. One is Paul's execution that happened probably around AD 67. 
And the third is the destruction of the temple by Titus in A.D. 70. If you know about the book of Acts, the history of the early church, those three events would have been so significant if it was written after they had happened. There is no question that Luke would have included them in, included them in the story. But the fact that they're not mentioned probably points to the fact that they haven't happened yet, which puts the date at 63. I just think that's fascinating. The rest of you, keep sleeping. You're doing well. <laughs> All right. So that's what we got. That's who wrote it, what the book was, and the office. Ready for a little quiz? Good. Okay. In my, who, who's talking here? Former book. What's the former book? Theophilus. Who's Theophilus? We don't know. Yeah, okay. All right. That's perfect. All right. You guys are doing really good. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. In my former book. Now he's writing a second book. You have to think in the lines of like Lord of the Rings, Hunger Games, Twilight. That it's this, you know, there's, there's this sequence of books that build on each other. He's got this going on. He wrote this book, the first one, and now he's writing the sequel, and they're connected. It's the ongoing story. So it's like this two-volume set that he's written to for his buddy Theophilus. The first one could be called Luke's Acts of Jesus, because it talks about from the birth to the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. Then he writes a second volume, and he writes that so that, so that Theophilus knows that this, all these stories about Jesus are true. Witnesses, you know, backing up, still alive. The second one, he writes, could be called Luke's Acts of the Apostle. In fact, that was kind of the name that has been given to it. In the second century, uh, it was given that name, but it's kind of a little bit of a misnomer because it's not really the Acts of the Apostles. After Acts chapter 1, verse 13, 10 of the Apostles you never hear about again in the book. They just, I mean, they're still alive, they're still working, but you just don't hear them. So it's not really that. What's probably a better uh, name it would be Luke's Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because it's what the Holy Spirit is doing. Now here's the interesting thing. I think Kip may have pointed this out. Luke is a Gentile, non-Jewish. He's the only non-Jewish writer that's included in the New Testament. And in these two books, you know, Luke and Acts, he, by volume writes more than anyone else in the New Testament, including Paul. Now, Paul wrote 12 or 13 books, but they're little paperbacks. Come on. Now, Luke writes two, but they're tomes. I mean, they're volumes. They're big. It's by volume, he writes more, which is just this beautiful picture of God's grace and goodness that this isn't just for the Jewish nation. This is for all people. All right, and so you have these two books. In the early church, they probably were circulated as one document, Luke and Acts. They probably just went around, and then later they were... They were separated out and they were, they were broken out uh, in that way. And so, so he writes about Jesus, then he writes about the church. A few years ago, there was a very, very popular TV series called 24. Anyone, any 24 fans? Keeper Sutherland? Okay. <laughs> There's only about six here. Last, last service, it was filled with 24 fans. Okay, for, now for you six, let me tell you. At the beginning of every episode, after they did the little... Okay, then it would say previously on 24. And they kind of give you what happened last week because they leave you hanging everywhere, every week. And then they would show you what happened last week. And then they would say, the following takes place between, and then they give you the hour. Is anyone with me at all? I I've lost you guys. Okay, come on, all right. So Luke does that in the book of Acts. 
previously in my former volume, this is what happened. The following takes place, and then he goes. And what he's going to talk about is what happened from the ascension of Jesus after the resurrection for about 30 years. And in those 30 years, the church is born, and it explodes. It starts with about 120 people, then there's thousands of people, and then it spreads throughout the entire Roman Empire. One more thing, and then we'll get started. (laughs) That the book of Acts kind of acts as a as a hinge to help us understand the rest of the New Testament. This is why William Barclay in his commentary said, in one sense, Acts is the most important book in the New Testament. Because the back half of the New Testament, you have all these letters. But where the Gospels left off, they're all in Jerusalem and maybe Galilee. But then you've got all these places in in Rome and, and Italy and Greece and Turkey and Asia Minor, all these places. So... What happened? Acts tells the story. So when you read it in the New Testament and you get to 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Corinth was in Greece. Said, so, well, how did we get from Israel to Greece? Acts will tell you. You go back to Acts 18, you see how Paul went to Corinth, he went to Athens, how he planted a church there, how, how messed up they were, and now he writes them these letters. So that's okay, that makes sense. Or, or Galatians, you're reading Galatians, you're like, okay, well, how, how do we get to the region of Galatia? Well, if you read in Acts chapter 13 and 14, you see that Paul, one of his journeys was up in the region of Galatia and Asia Minor, what today would be called Turk, uh, uh, yeah, Turkey, and, and, and he plants these churches. Ephesians, well, how did we get to Ephesians? Well, if you read in Acts chapter 19, and it's a cool one, and he's in Ephesus, there's like a full-on riot that breaks loose, the, the, the temple of, for Artemis, and people are burning statues, and I mean, it's an uproar. All of a sudden, you're like, okay, I remember that one from Acts 19, and that's how we got, so now he's writing back to this church in Ephesus. And Philippians, Philippians, of, of, of course, that was the whole jailhouse rock thing where they were in the jail and there was the, the earthquake and they all got set free. That was in, in, in Acts chapter 16. That, that makes sense. And you just keep going through Thessalonians. Okay, Acts 17. What about First and Second Timothy? Well, Paul left Timothy in Ephesus to be the pastor of that church. Well, what about uh, Titus? Titus was sent to the island of Crete to take care of the church. All of a sudden, you begin to understand all these things in the New, in the New Testament. You understand where they came from with the book of Acts. Uh, no, I've lost you all. You're all. Okay. Enough of the backstory. Now, for those of you who checked out from the beginning, check back in because now we're getting to it. Now we're going to get started. We ready? I may go all afternoon. Okay. So it starts off, Paul says, hey, I, I wrote you this former book, Theophilus. I want you to know the truth. I want you to know the truth about Jesus. I want you to know the truth about what's going on now and what God has been up to and, and, uh, and what Jesus did from the time, you know, that he was uh, resurrected until he was ascended. Acts chapter 1, verse 3 is where we are. After his suffering, Jesus' suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So after Jesus comes back from the grave, he's around for about 40 days. And in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 6, it says up to about 500 people actually saw him. It wasn't just a handful. 500. It's not like a group hallucination. And he proved, gave them proofs like, hey, touch me. Put your hand in here. I mean, let's eat together. Ghosts don't eat. Let's do these things. He proves to them that he's alive. And during those 40 days, he talks to them about the kingdom of God. That's not surprising. Jesus had a one-track kingdom of God mind. 
At the very beginning of his ministry, he went into the regions and he preached the good news of the kingdom of God. For three years, he showed them what does it look like for the kingdom of heaven to be here on earth, on earth even as it is in heaven to be done, the kingdom here. And now as he's resurrected, he continues to talk to them about the kingdom of God. And then one day, on one occasion, while they were, you know, he was eating with them, let's go back please, one slide. While he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak of. Don't leave Jerusalem. Stay here. Wait for the gift that my father has promised. You know, I, I'm not really sure why I remember this. And what's interesting, last night in the Saturday night service, only like one person even knew what I was talking about. Nine o'clock, tons did. But when 1970, 71, I was in second grade, Lincoln Elementary School, Vancouver, Washington. Mrs. Hugh Jack was our teacher. And she read stories to us. She read books to us. One of the books she read to us was Ramona the Pest. Okay. Anyone else? Ramona the Pest? All right. The same gal that wrote um, uh, the Tibbets, Ellen Tibbets. Ramona's sister was uh, Beezus. Okay. So you know who I'm talking about. Okay. Why I remember this, I have no idea. But in Ramona the Pest, it tells about her going off to her first day of kindergarten. And she's kicking and screaming, doesn't want to be a part of this thing. And she comes into her kindergarten class, and the teacher says, Ramona, it's so nice to have you in our class. And she takes her over to a table and gives her a chair, and she says, why don't you sit here for the present? And Ramona thinks to herself, kindergarten's not as bad as I thought it was. I'm getting a present. None of the other boys and girls are getting presents, and she sits there waiting for the present. Anyone remember this story at all? Not at all. Okay. Even when the kids go out to recess, she refuses because she's sitting there for the present. Long before Ramona was a pest, Jesus said to them, do not leave Jerusalem. Wait here. Sit here for the present. Wait here for the gift. You wait. How long? It's just a matter of days. Don't worry. You just wait. Don't go anywhere. You just wait. And you just wait for this gift that I'm going to give to you. You don't have to learn how to receive this gift. You don't have to get yourself all worked up to receive this gift. You don't have to fabricate how to receive this gift. You just wait. You just wait for this gift. Okay, okay. For the gift. What is it? It's not an it. It's a who. And you just wait for this gift. The Father promised it. We sang this morning, you know, about, about God and his promises. He is a promise keeper. His word will never fail. Sometimes we sing that other song about, um, oh, it's about God's promise. I can't remember what it is. Da, 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 da. Someone help me with that. Da, 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 da. You're a man of your word. Doesn't matter. <laughs> I can't remember it, but God is a man of his promise. Okay, so he's a man of his word. He says, you just wait here for the gift. My Father has promised you. And he says, and it's the stuff you've heard me talk about. Do you not remember? 40 days ago, we're upstairs. I'm washing your feet. You guys freaked out about that. Did the communion thing. Come on. You were there. John, you're going to record this in your book. John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. You haven't written it yet, but you will. That was like some of my best stuff. My upper room discourse. Don't you remember? Five times in John 14, 15, and 16, five times Jesus talks to them about the Holy Spirit. He says, okay, let me give you a little bit of, a, a little bit of a, an update. For John baptized with water, 
but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Most of them, maybe all of them, had been baptized by John. Jesus had been baptized by John. But now he says they're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They know enough of the Old Testament. There are times when the Holy Spirit was on people, but it was on people like Moses and the sister Miriam and Aaron and those kind of people, prophets, but not ordinary people. He says, yes, 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 the Holy Spirit is going to be on you. A, a quick little reminder, in that upper room discourse, in John chapter 16, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, the helper, the one who comes alongside, the paraclete, this, this Holy Spirit, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He says, as long as I'm here, I can only be in one place at one time. But when I go away, my Holy Spirit will come and he will go with you no matter where you go. And what we have to understand as we study the book of Acts is the indispensable key is the Holy Spirit. Fifty times the Holy Spirit is mentioned over and over again. That the church is what is happening. The Holy Spirit is how it's happening. The church is the vessel. The Holy Spirit is the power. And he says, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you. One little side note. When Jesus started his ministry, remember, he was baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist, in the water. He comes up out of the water, and the Spirit descended on him like a dove. And then he starts his ministry. And now, he says, you've been baptized by John, and now the Holy Spirit is going to descend upon you, and you're going to start your ministry. They still don't get it. In fact, they're still trying to get Jesus to overthrow Rome. Look what it says. So they met together. They asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Come on, let's overthrow Rome. I mean, <laughs> you got it in you. You were dead, you're alive. You can do anything. You can overthrow this kingdom of Rome. Do you not? And Jesus doesn't reprimand them. He just simply says, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Relax. God's in control. He's got the timing down. You don't have to worry about it. And I would just kind of mention this on a side, and I'm not trying to offend you. Some of you who are looking for every little detail in the news and every little sign and how this relates with Daniel and Revelation and Ezekiel and all this, because you've got to get this date right down. I would just say, let me tell you what Jesus said. It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Relax, just keep in step with the Spirit, remain in him, obey him, and don't worry about those details. And if you ever, ever hear a preacher, a prophet, a healer that has done all the research and has come up with the date, I don't care how godly they are or how biblical they are, if they've got a date that Jesus is coming back, I guarantee you Jesus is not coming back on that date. So he says, it's not for you to know. This isn't a puzzle for you to figure out. You're to be obedient, to remain in me, and just to walk in step with my spirit. They're saying, but Jesus, are you going to do this or are you going to do this? And Jesus turns everything around, but you, he says, you, you, my church, my church, my bride that I love, my body that I'm committed to, my followers that I believe in, my church that I've chosen, you're going to finish what I started. But it's not just you on your own strength, your own devices, your own power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. It's going to happen. And he says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You're going to be my witnesses because what you're going to tell them is that I'm alive. It's the resurrection of Jesus. Our whole faith is based on an event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And you'll see throughout Acts, every time they tell this story, they land on this one. And Jesus was crucified, he was buried, and he's alive again. That's what I want you to witness to. You've seen me. You've seen that I'm alive. You be witnesses to that. And you see these concentric circles from Jerusalem to Judea in the south and Samaria in the north, and then to all the earth. It just kind of keeps going out that way. It's like in John 17, Jesus prayed, Father, as you have sent me, I'm sending them. And, and for those of you who kind of want to see a macro level of the book, this right here is the outline of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 through chapter 7, they're in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 8 through chapter 11, about halfway through, they're in Judea and Samaria. Halfway through 11 to chapter 28, they go out into all of the Roman Empire. It just kind of lays out this way. And isn't this what Jesus had said, what Matthew recorded? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all things, and I will be with you always. All right, I got I to start wrapping this thing up. So Luke writes this gospel to tell the story of Jesus, and the story of Jesus ends with the finished work of Christ on the cross. Jesus says it's finished. The debt has been paid. Forgiveness is no more sacrifices, no more animals, no more separation. We can have the finished work of Christ on the cross. He writes the book of Acts, and it's the ongoing work of Christ in the world. It's not just what Christ has done on the cross. It's now what he's doing through his church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to the glory of God, this church that is now unleashed and unhindered and unstoppable to change the world, to go and make disciples of all nations. So what we're going to find in the book of Acts is that it, it covers 30 years from the ascension of Jesus until about 30 years later. And basically, it's the history of the church. It's a 30-year history of the early church. And in that, uh, that history, as I said, it goes from 120 to thousands to the entire Roman Empire, changes the world. But I don't want you to approach this saying, oh, we got a 30-year history lesson of the New Testament church. Because it's also his story of the church that doesn't end after 30 years. There was a song that our girls used to sing that drove us crazy. It is the song that never ends. <laughs> oh, it goes on and on, my friends. Some people started singing it not knowing what, they, what it was. And they're forever singing it forever just because it is the song that never ends. Listen, Jesus says, my history, it's the story that never ends. It's this song that keeps going, that what I started, what I proclaimed, and, and don't you see, that's where we come in, that we are a chapter in that story as well, all in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God. It's his story that continues on. It's been apart for 10,000 years, 2,000 years. Let, let me finish with this. Uh, last verse. Uh, uh, he says, you'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, all the place. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. This is their last conversation, their last time seeing Jesus. They're out there on the Mount of Olives. And, the, and he says these things, and then he just starts like, going up. And you know there's this music that goes, because there has to be on something like that. Jesus just goes up, and he disappears, which is a whole Daniel 7 thing, which we don't have time to go into, but it's very, very cool. And they're all just like going. And two guys show up, and they say, what are you doing? And they're like, our leader just floated away. And just kind of looking at it. And it's easy to think, okay, Jesus taps out. 
He had a three-year assignment. Now he's done. He's hitting the locker rooms. He's hitting the showers. He's over. No, no, no. His work continues on, and this is important for them, and it's important for us. Because what you see is Jesus' ascension and intercession. He leads so that he can send the Holy Spirit. We'll get into that next week. And the Holy Spirit works in our lives and then through the church. But Jesus doesn't just take a vacation now. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 7, it says this. Because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. I want to tell you something. We're going to study something that happened thousands of years ago, but nothing has changed. The Holy Spirit is still in us, and Jesus is still praying for us. His church is still unleashed, unhindered, and unstoppable, and we're a part of that story. Not only we collectively, but listen to me. You are. I wish that every single one of us individually could own this, that you're part of the bride of Christ, and Jesus loves you, that you're part of the body of Christ, and Jesus is committed to you. You're one of his followers, and he believes in you. He believes in you more than you believe in yourself. And you're a part of his church, and he's chosen you. What if we just woke up every morning and realized church isn't something we do for an hour and ten minutes on Sunday. Church is who we are. It's who we were created to be. It's, 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 we're a part of God's story. Okay, I'm getting all fired up, and i got to stop. Somebody stop me. I've asked Sarah... And then to lead us in this song because it's the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. And we need that. We need that fresh wind. And we're going to study this, and I hope it isn't just a history lesson. I hope it fires us up to be the people God has chosen us and called us to be. So why don't you stand, let's sing the song, and then I'll close this in prayer.
And Jesus, we do not in any way deserve to be a part of your church, of your family, of your body, but by your grace, you invite us in. You give us your righteousness. And you call us to finish what you started by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that we would see ourselves as your church, humbled by this fact, that you would choose to use imperfect people like us through your power to change the world. And I pray that we would keep in step with your spirit, remain in your presence, be obedient to your word, and used by you to bring about this ongoing story that you started to be your church in this place. For your glory we pray it. Amen. Amen.